All right, you ready? Oh, my smack my mic. <laughs> that was noise. That was the funniest noise. It sounded like a giant water drop. <laughs> it was yeah. weird. It sounded like the beginning of like a techno song at a club. <laughs> for the music drops. We should uh, maybe branch out into doing DM music. <laughs> that could be the intro. You should what, play the water droplet. Yeah, and then go into the Booker Tours theme. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media finds with your friends who don't know what you're talking about. I'm the friend. (laughs) Well, at least for this episode, we'll see how you feel after it. (laughs) Bring it on, Sam. Well, I feel that way every episode, Danielle, and you're still here, so thank you. That's true. Almost 50. I'm counting. Almost 50. Wow. Uh, If this hasn't destroyed our friendship already, nothing will. (laughs) That's true. Though we had 20 years of backup experience prior. Uh, You never know, Danielle. This is a real strain. (laughs) Before we get started today, Danielle, just so our audience knows, we are appearing, both of us this time, on the lovely I Drink Your Podcast podcast. (laughs) We're so excited. It was so much fun. It was really good. We're doing the Nicolas Cage movie next, so you know it's going to be awesome. So we highly recommend you check that out. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts and also on Instagram or Twitter at IDYP underscore podcast. And even if the episodes were not on, are uh, worth listening to. Absolutely. After this one, of course. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to what we're doing today. Let's get to the nonsense at hand. So today I have a film that I think you may have seen before. Oh, but- Okay, that does defeat the premise, you know. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm gambling that if you have seen it, you remember so little about it that it's still going to be very eye-opening for you to hear me tell you about it. Okay, that's entirely possible. Very, very possible. (laughs) I know. So I'm taking a little bit of risk here. I'm talking about the 2001 film Evolution. Evolution? What's it about? Oh, you're going to tell me. I don't know. Maybe I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. I will tell you about it. And maybe you'll remember it and this will blow up this whole episode. But hopefully it will be something that is either new or for all intents and purposes new to you because you don't remember it. It sounds vaguely familiar, but not in a way that I remember. So we'll see once I read the summary if it comes back to me. The summary is not going to help you. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) All right. Here is your summary. We should have a little like, (laughs) da-dum. What are we, Law and Order? A firefighting cadet, two college professors, and a geeky but sexy government scientist work against an alien organism that has been rapidly evolving ever since its arrival on Earth inside a meteor. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe that's just me then. (laughs) Risk paid off. All right. So there's not a lot to say about this movie. It did okay at the box office, and then they made an animated show about it Uh, for some reason. A 26-episode animated series on Fox Kids, which when I go through this movie, you'll realize was a choice. It did, I mean, the plot doesn't even seem like it would be animated. Yeah, it doesn't seem like somebody's like, oh, yes, children would enjoy this sexy but geeky government scientist. <laughs> Though, to be fair, from the uh, two minutes I watched of an episode on the internet, it seems like it has as much to do with the original source material as the Mighty Ducks cartoon. Aww. So. <laughs> 
but let's get into it. Evolution. It opens as the camera pans over a meteor that's hurtling towards the Earth, and then hits the atmosphere, gets heated up, and then starts to break apart. Cut to a car driving through the dark desert, blasting classic rock. It pulls over and out steps a firefighter, or at least a person dressed like a firefighter. It is Sean William Scott, the actor, yep. who is playing Wayne. <laughs> So he's in a normal car, but he's dressed like a firefighter? Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. He opens the trunk and takes out a CPR dummy. He then drags it to a shed that is just standing out here in the middle of the desert for some reason, douses it all in gasoline, and then lights it on fire. So he's a serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> a serial killer of CPR dummies, Well, yes. I bet he's like practicing for his future kill, obviously. No, he starts a stopwatch, then kicks down the door ducks in, grabs the dummy, and runs out going like, don't worry, ma'am, I'll save you! And it drags her out and starts performing CPR the whole thing. And the fire is no impediment. Like, it's a tiny little shed. It, it's, you know, maybe five feet square at most. And so, I don't know why he set it on fire. It wasn't like it was any harder to get the doll out because it was on fire. So he set the whole shed on fire, too. Like well, the whole it... shed's on fire. Oh, is it his shed? No, I, probably not. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it's just out here in the middle of nowhere. He sets it on fire for no reason. <laughs> Because again, he busts in and half a second later, he's out of the doll. He could have reached in through the door and dragged it out. Like, it was not a big shed. This has got to be illegal on some level, like fire oh, bug. this is definitely vandalism of some kind. <laughs> and he just destroyed arson. somebody's property. <laughs> At this called arson, Danielle. Yes. <laughs> and mannequin death. Mannequin death, yeah. Attempted he's, he's mannequin a... murder. <laughs> oh, man. We're not even admitting to this <laughs> Sorry. Thing. I was surprised. Fact, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> So while he's performing CPR on the dummy, and not doing a very good job of it, he's like crushing the chest. He's going down hard. He looks up and sees the meteor streaking towards him. So he runs out of the way as the meteor smashes into his car, blowing it up, and the entire shed and the doll and everything. That's when the title comes up, Evolution. And then we cut to a small city and we pan over it as we go to a busy community college. Oh, good. This is where the college professors are? <laughs> yes, at the community college. <laughs> That's right. You remember that from the introduction. Good. I did, yeah. I'm trying to be better about my memory. <laughs> uh, I don't think you should, Danielle, because your your memory problems are pretty much what half the show is based on. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, it's great. That's how we get half our humor. It's, it's, without that, we have nothing. I can't carry this by myself. <laughs> anyway, college professors. We cut to the lecture hall where David Duchovny. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. David Duchovny. <laughs> is a biology professor. He's handing back graded papers. I'm guessing the first graded papers of the semester based on how he's acting. And he's standing in front of a just the largest periodic table poster for some reason. Is he a science college professor? He's a biology professor, I oh, said. Oh, sorry. I missed that. This is what? X-Files heyday? 2001? 2001, yeah. Okay. Biology professor with a giant periodic table. We'll get back to that. Believe me. <laughs> So he announces that most of the class got A's, and they all applaud, except for our two brothers who raise their hands and say, what about us? We both got C-minuses. That's what the professor says in front of the whole class. Last night as I was grading papers, I came across two titled Cells Are Bad, both with just <laughs> one paragraph, which I unfortunately committed to memory. Note, he handed back multi-page papers to all the students, including these two, so apparently this one paragraph was spaced out over several <laughs> pages. The best way to write a paper. And he says, the paragraph was... Cells are bad. My uncle lives in a cell. It's 10 feet by 12 and has, and he has to read the same old boring magazine every day. The end. 
Well, you know, you should be more specific in your prompts. Well, the whole class laugh as the twins ask, oh, you're talking about our paper, right, Dr. Kane? I'm like, why is this professor ridiculing two of his students in front of the entire class? That's not okay. It's not. But also, good job for going to college, I guess. <laughs> Those kids. They will become pivotal later. Believe me, Danielle. I believe that. But this guy starts a trend of being the worst college professor in history. Like, just <laughs> like the worst person. And so he responds to them saying, although my standards are nowhere near what they used to be, I could still not bring myself to put an A on top of those beauties. I hope you understand, guys. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, poor guys. I know. He's like, yeah, I just gave out A's. So I don't care anymore. But even you guys, you're too stupid for me to give you A's. I'm like, that's terrible. Yeah, only are you like not trying very hard as a teacher. You're just ridiculing your students. You should be fired. All I'm saying. Agreed. He's terrible. This is an introduction to this character that make me instantly hate him. He's supposed to be the protagonist. I was going to ask you, are you supposed to be rooting for him? <laughs> yes. Him and his friend, who I'll get to in a moment, are supposed to be the protagonist, and they are by far the worst people in this movie. That's not good. No, it doesn't bode well. <laughs> it does not. So we're at the bat. I hate this guy. I'm like, good start, movie. So then he turns around and says, all right, now let's get back to the periodic table. I'm like, wait a minute. Biology class, you're going to the periodic table? Yeah, it seems a weird place to start. <laughs> or, you know, at all. No offense to biology. Like, it's great, but periodic table doesn't really get covered in biology. It's chemistry. Yeah, it's a completely different That's class. Like, hey, let's go over Newton's laws of motion in the biology class. Like, no, it doesn't belong there. <laughs> anyway, so the two brothers look at each other behind his back and they're delighted and they fist bump because clearly a C minus for them is pretty good. Well, that's good. I'm glad. So now we cut to Orlando Jones, who is playing geology professor Harry Phineas Block. Mm-hmm. It's a name. Yeah. The other worst professor in the world. So he's taking a call about the meteor, which technically is now a meteorite since he hit the ground. That's just a fun fact for you from me. So they're ta- they're calling this community college professor? Yeah, we'll get to me- that. <laughs> Why is he the go-to person for meteorites? Well... The excuse he gives later is that he is the USGS representative, the United States Geological Survey or Geological Society, they call it, even though that's not what the USGS is. <laughs> <laughs> he is their representative for this town because he fell out of form online and got sure. the job or okay. something. Okay, that's valid. I'm willing to go with it's it. It's not. <laughs> I thought you got a government position. <laughs> I'm, but I, I believe it. I'm I'm there. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, whatever. I mean, I'll go with it. That's, that's the least dumb part about this. <laughs> anyway, so he gets the location of the impact and he rushes out. But as he's leaving, sitting on a table in his classroom, his geology lab, is a student in a short skirt, very short skirt. And apparently her latest paper, despite being in the professor's words, tight, very tight, is not up to snuff. Nice. This starts the unfortunate part of the movie where Professor Block, Harry, is just degrading women all over the place and is a total misogynist. Yeah, you didn't see my eye roll, obviously, but it was there. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's awful. And so the student, Nadine, mentioned she really needs the credit to get into nursing school. I'm like, geology for nursing school? Sure. You probably have to have some kind of science credit. I don't know. I think the biology course would make more sense if you want to get into nursing school. I mean, I I would agree, but... Maybe she needs some kind of diversity in sciences. Sure. And Block goes, nursing, wouldn't you be more comfortable in a profession where lives didn't depend on you? Ouch. And I'm like, what is wrong with these professors? (laughs) Why are they just the worst people? (laughs) 
That's terrible. And then Adine says, well, what I really want is to be Miss Arizona. My pageant coach says nurses school look good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So she's like going off about this. And that's when Professor Kane bursts in. Ira Kane, that's David Duchovny. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, you ready for lunch? And he sees the two of them standing there and he goes, or have you already eaten? And I'm like, what? <laughs> no! Why are they, these... Uh, it's not even their introduction as characters makes me hate them and it colored my perception of the entire rest of the movie is how much i hated these characters from the very start <laughs> completely fair sounds like so their names ira and what's the other one harry harry okay so harry says to nadine we'll talk about your extra credit later and then he turns away and he looks at her butt and smiles at ira Ew, and then they just leave stop it. it's Why? so skeezy <laughs> yeah no I've never seen a movie work harder to make you hate characters at the start of it. I feel like these guys were meant to be, I don't know if I want to say anti-heroes, but like villains or... (laughs) I think they're supposed to be like the bumbling people at the heart of gold who are not good, but they sort of stumble across doing the right thing. Right. But they just come off as pigs, basically. (laughs) Are there any kind of redemption arc things going on? Darn. No. So two of them are driving out in Harry's Jeep to the meteor site. Apparently, Iris is like, all right, I guess I'll go with you and skip lunch. And so at the site, they run to the sheriff and to fireman Wayne, or I guess the fireman in training Wayne, who's eager to leave because he has to get to his firefighter exam. And they like talk their way in past the sheriff. Like, oh yeah, we're from the USGS. The feds are here. And like, all right, no one's going to buy that. But the sheriff's just like, all right, go on in. And so they go down to this cave. So the, the meteor slides into the ground and into a cave system beneath the ground. So it like burrowed down deep. And so they go into this cave and they just climb down the crater where they see some cops taking pictures with the meteor, which looks like a giant splinter sticking straight out of the ground, uh-huh. which I don't know much about anything, astrophysics, <laughs> but a meteorite striking the ground enough to cause a giant crater, I don't think would remain upright and intact like the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> But it's visually more appealing on screen, Sam. Oh, absolutely. But it would be a pancake, let's be (laughs) honest. So Ira goes up to it and sees that has something growing on it. Like, oh, is that cave moss? After only a few hours? Oh, how mysterious. And they're not wearing gloves or any protective equipment, of course. That seems safe. To avoid contaminating it or to protect their own safety. Or getting aliens. Well, we're about to get to that. So Harry takes out a rock hammer to get a sample and he starts chiseling into the rock and he hits it a few times. This ooze starts coming out. And they're like, oh, the rock is bleeding. (laughs) Get away. Run away. (laughs) No. They're like, no, let's get a sample and take it back and not tell anyone about this. So do they like rope off the area or anything so other people can't go? What? (laughs) No. Again, I can't express to you how bad these people are at being scientists being professors, being decent human beings, and just generally everything. <laughs> is this movie called Evolution because we die out as a human species? <laughs> we should, frankly, based on this movie. So they take a sample back to the, the community college lab in the middle of the night, it looks like. This movie just flips between day and night, seemingly scene by scene with no continuity. So they like, don't... Be... Sorry. They don't tell anybody else about this discovery that they've made. Nope. There's no other government agencies involved. Not yet. Even though there's a giant crater. Yeah. And the sheriff is there, so they know about it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's <laughs> very questionable. And in fact, they just take a sample back with them without any real preparation to this community college lab in the middle of the night, which apparently they can just do. And Harry is doing all the work, even though Ira, supposedly the geologist, is supposed to be freaking this out. Mm-hmm. But he's doing all the work. He's taking a sample of the goo and putting it on a microscope slide. And Harry seems to have no clue what's going on. So 
Ira was the biology teacher. Yeah. But you just said, but he's also, is he a geology or biology? I'm sorry. Harry's the geology teacher. Okay. Did I get that backwards? I think you said earlier and then I was all confused. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry about that. Ira is the one looking on the microscope slide, even though Harry is the geologist who's supposedly analyzing the meter was called from the USGS to do this. That seems weird. Yeah. And so Harry then just leaves because he's also the coach of the women's volleyball team. Of course he is, which makes, and it's so much creepier now that you've seen him interact with another woman. Yeah. It's <laughs> bad right <laughs> and so there's a game going on just go coach the game he just leaves ira in the lab with the sample and so ira looks at the sample under the microscope and he sees these like they look like starfish but they're tiny little cells moving around and dividing rapidly and he's like oh life and the cells are dividing dividing until the microscope slide breaks because there's more and more of them is that how that would work no because <laughs> how like, does they just no. gain mass from nowhere i mean there's a conservation of matter law out there in the universe you can't just poof matter into existence because cells are dividing <laughs> i should say from here that this movie is supposedly a comedy and so i'm sure it sacrifices a lot of quote-unquote realism in the service of comedy the problem i have is that it's not a sacrifice worth making in this case <laughs> It'll not stop me from pointing it out. And also, it's not going to stop me from pointing it out. And also, there were less dumb ways to could handle a lot of this stuff. Like, they just simply picked the laziest and just sort of, like, dumbest solutions to all the things. And we'll get to that. Well, assuming the periodic tables taught in a biology class was already... You knew where the level of science was going to be from the get-go. Uh, so it gets worse. He then goes to a computer to run a spectrographic analysis, quote-unquote, and the report comes up, DNA mutation analysis, which, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, is that, that how works. those tests work? <laughs> Apparently, he can just magically measure alien DNA mutations. <laughs> Because, I mean, a mutation is something that is deviating from what it was before. It changes. Right. So how do we know what it was before? It'll mutated. I don't anyway, know. Anyway, it's all nonsense. There's a bunch of nonsense numbers up on the screen. And he's like, oh my God, there are 10 base pairs in the DNA. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you got that from this machine that they have 10 base pairs from one machine in a community college science lab? <laughs> It's a really good community college science lab, Sam. I'm not trying to disparage community colleges. They're wonderful places, but most science labs, unless they're like specialized biochemistry labs, are not going to be able to tell you how many base pairs alien DNA has with one old computer. And you should know, you've worked in many a science lab. <laughs> I have. And if it was that easy, man, my job would be paid a lot less. <laughs> uh, unless it already is. Oof. <laughs> Teaching's hard. Anyway, he runs off to find Harry at the volleyball game, who's just yelling abuse at his team. And he tells Harry about it. Harry's like, oh, I can't. Iris says, finally, they're aliens. There's alien life. And I'm like, well, that was a pretty strong conclusion to jump to. How do you know they're aliens and not just contamination or something? <laughs> yeah, that would be the logical conclusion, you'd think. He just, he just jumps immediately like, he's like, they're all 10 base pairs and all life on Earth is four base pairs. So they must be aliens. I'm like, all right. First off, how are you sure there's 10 base pairs? Two, how can you be sure that there isn't some life on on Earth that we haven't uncovered yet where there are 10 base pairs. I'm just saying there were many other things you would want to eliminate first before jumping to aliens. And he still hasn't told anybody. Just Harry so far. And so they head back to Ira's lab, but this time it's day now, apparently. So they spent all night at the volleyball court? <laughs> it was only about my conclusion. <laughs> Those poor kids are really like, can we go home, coach? <laughs> <laughs> So it's now day, and Ira takes Harry to his office to show him, but Harry, when he looks at the slides, like, I don't know much about biology, but aren't single-celled organs supposed to have just one cell? And Ira goes looking at them, and he's like, oh my gosh, they're no longer single-celled. They're evolving at a rapid rate. <laughs> They're going to be humans before long. Danielle, how did you know the end of this movie? <laughs> Is that what happens? <laughs> uh, we'll get there. <laughs> oh my gosh, we'll get there. <laughs> 
and jumping to some pretty strong conclusions. And this makes the conclusions they jump to in Tremors look like very well-reasoned, well-thought-out <laughs> arguments. When we knew that was our bar for, like, crazy yeah. conclusions. <laughs> so Ira is very worried, but Harry's just like, ooh, Nobel Prize, here we come. I'm like, oh boy, you're not a good scientist. <laughs> So now we cut to the firefighter exam. Wayne is asleep on his feet because he spent all night trying to talk to the police about that meteor. And as he's undergoing the exam, he manages to clock himself in the nuts with the fire hose and falls off the ladder and fails. So that's that scene. <laughs> I'll keep mentioning Wayne, but he is very unimportant for most of this movie. Oh, poor Wayne. I know. Considering the movie opened with him, that's disappointing. Yeah, like they just seem to have like two completely unrelated stories cutting back and forth and neither of them are very interesting. But anyway, so back at the meteorite site, a school bus shows up with a crane behind it. It's Ira. He brought his whole class on a field trip and Harry to the meteorite site that they haven't told anybody about. What? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why, Danielle? That seems like such a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. These people are awful. (laughs) And their plan is to use his class. Like, oh, it's a field trip class. Get out. He hasn't told them what they're doing here. He hasn't told the class why they're here. None of them are dressed in any protective equipment. Like, Nadine is there, and she's just in, like, high-heeled sandals. So none of them are prepared for this. And he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to go use that crane to hoist that meteorite out of here and take it back to the college, I guess, to study it. Because they want to protect their... The discovery, so they get all the credit or something. This is, this is the worst idea I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> so down in the cave, a bunch of fungus and mist has sprung up around the meteor, and Ira just leads his class down there. No protective equipment, no glove. I mean, he gives them gloves. He mentions gloves, but they don't really wear them. And there's a terrible smell, and they conclude that oh. Is converting the atmosphere to hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, and methane. I'm like, okay, good conclusions there, professor. <laughs> and then Nadine, she's like, oh, there's something crawling around my toes. Because again, open-toned shoes at a me- alien meteorite site. Is Nadine the other character? Nadine, remember her from the very beginning? I know, I remember Nadine. Is she the other character that's mentioned in the description? No. Okay. Oh, she's, she's not, not a not government the sexy scientist, scientist yeah. I had to look no. back. <laughs> Like, who are we missing? You'll find out soon enough. So the government does get involved at some point. (laughs) Yeah, of course it does. (laughs) Well, it's not like they seem to be telling anybody about this discovery. (laughs) Well, the USGS knows about it because they sent a call to Harry about it. Yeah, but Harry could have just said, oh, yeah, it was a meteorite. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a lot of like, that'd be a big deal. But yeah, no, we'll get to that. Trust me. Okay. But the fact is, Nadine's like, oh, there's something crawling around my toes. And so the mist clears conveniently, and there are just tons of flatworms covering the ground, just writhing in flatworms. And the class freaks out and runs away because obviously... (laughs) Yeah, that's nasty. It is very nasty. So Ira takes some forceps and picks up a flatworm, and as he lifts it up, it dies. He's like, oh, they need their own atmosphere to live. They must die in oxygen. (laughs) He just makes assumptions left and right. I mean, he's, he's apparently the best scientist ever, who is also the worst scientist ever. <laughs> it's quite the conundrum. Uh, so then we cut to Harry and I are sitting at a lunch table at the school with a jar of alien flatworms just in the middle of, not the cafeteria, it's like an outdoor eating area, talking about it. Not in the lab, just with a jar of flatworms while people are eating. That's gross. It's not good. Nadine comes over and is like, that field trip fulfills my credits, right? And then notices the flatworms are dividing. And Ira's like, it's mitosis, reproduction. They divide and reproduce asexually. And Harry is just aghast at the concept of asexual reproduction. Like, where's the fun of that? Because, <laughs> you know, that's his character. So they now have discovered flatworms. Do, and they, flatworms. They think that they're related somehow to the meteorite. 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 <laughs> 
Yeah, you, there you go, Daniel. Good job. Uh, they have already concluded that these flatworms are the evolved form of those things. Like, their conclusion is those alien cells are evolving so rapidly they've already become flatworms. And what took us millions and billions of years for Earth to develop this life, they've already done it in a few hours. So originally it was an alien species, but now they're flatworms and they're not concerned that they're a familiar-looking alien species? No, I think it's a coincidence. Or it's like, they're it's still aliens. It's like, oh, that's just like the next logical step is from single-celled organisms to flatworms. <laughs> sure. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Okay, so there's flatworms on the table, asexually reproducing. Yeah. Asexually reproducing. The whole species is asexually reproducing. And they're just like, oh, yeah. Uh, it's I guess their argument is like convergent evolution, where multiple things are just always follow the same evolutionary trajectory, which, sure. again, you're right, is crazy because it's all about environmental pressures, which are non-existent for these creatures. On the plus side, Sam, this movie is now officially smarter than the dragon movie. It's <laughs> because, not, Danielle. Because I they're asexually you. reproducing, and that's a stronger way to be okay. <laughs> this species is a better species than the dragon species. I'm 100% on board that Reign of Fire, those dragons were uh, less likely to survive than this species of alien. That's all I meant, Sam, that it's smarter stuff. in that way. Uh, I, I'm going to avoid the word smarter. I want to say the species is more survivable or, or more is more likely to survive. Sure. Let's go with that. Because by the time they get done this movie, Danielle, you're going to want to eat those words. <laughs> I don't think the movie's smarter. Thus far, that has okay. not been proven. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, good. And so they take the jar and they rush it back to Ira's lab without needing. And Harry's like, shouldn't we tell somebody? Like, the government? And Ira's like, no. No government. I know this, guys. This is our discovery. We have to document everything. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? That's a terrible idea. You're going to cover up this crazy alien species just because you want some glory? You're a bad person. He is. Cut to Wayne. He is the pool manager at a fancy country club, and he's being degraded by rich jerks as he collects towels. Oh, that's sad. Poor Wayne. And as he goes back to the pool shed, he sees a bunch of flatworms crawling out from the crack underneath the room to the... Pool maintenance room. I don't know what they're called, Danielle. I'm not a pool person. <laughs> they're, so they're spreading. Yeah. And he opens the door and he sees a bunch of dead flatworms in the pool filter room. And inside that, and he picks up like a, a bottle of bleach that's going to kill them. And just as he's about to pour them up out of the pool filter, which is just like a clear tube of water, a fish lunges at him and then disappears back in the filter. He's like, no, that was weird. And just leaves. Oh, okay. Yep. Are they spreading go, through the tunnel on. system? We'll get to that. Okay. Don't worry, Danielle. There'll be some conclusion jumping later. That's good. <laughs> I'm also curious how Wayne plays into any of this. It's a very legitimate question that is not answered until like the last 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> I'll hang in there then. The next day, Harry and Ira headed back to the meteorite site, and shocker, the actual government has shown up. It's under military control. How did they find out? We'll get to that. Believe me. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> My first thought was, usually in these kind of movies, the government steps in, you know, like in Thor or E.T. or whatever. It's like, you're like, oh, no, the government's interfering. They're going to screw us all up because all they want to do is weaponize it or whatever. But I'm like, good. I'm glad the adults showed up. People who are responsible <laughs> who can take care of this without screwing around. <laughs> like, I am firmly on the side that is not our two professor heroes. <laughs> you're pro-government all of a sudden. <laughs> the one movie I, uh, ever. <laughs> This movie really makes a case for the military-industrial complex, i got to be honest. <laughs> That's its claim to fame, Sam. You just, they just didn't sell it well. <laughs> so they're initially denied entry at the checkpoint because, duh. And I was like, why don't you go ask the guy in charge? Let's go talk to him. He's like, shout, okay, is there a, anyone talk about an Ira Kane and a, and a Harry Block? And then one of the soldiers comes up to Ira and is like, you're the Ira Kane? And he's like, yes. 
and the guy tries to pull out a gun to like shoot him. Oh my gosh. And he's like dragged off screaming. He's like, you are responsible for the worst month of my life. <laughs> and Ira's like, well, I don't know what that was about. That was weird. And the guy's still screaming, that's the guy that had me in diapers for over a month. So and that's all we learned about him. That never comes back? Never. What? Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently this one soldier had a bag through his Ira Kane. Oh, Oh my gosh, I just figured out what this means. I finally figured it out. Okay. Okay, this is going to come back later. This movie is so crazy that I had to go back and read my own notes to figure out what this connection was. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay, I figured it out, too. It does make sense, only it's stupid. So, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, they at this point, they have not taken out the meteorite. They're going to take it with them, too. No, oh, yeah, okay. apparently they abandoned that plan when they found the flatworms. Oh, okay. <laughs> or... Who cares? And we just cut away. The movie does a lot of that. Like, eh, let's just ignore that scene. That scene's over. Let's move to the next one. But anyway, apparently that's enough for the military to just wave them in. Like, all right, go ahead. You're welcome to come in. What? That didn't yeah. establish who they were. No. You think it'd be the reverse. But they're taken up to meet General Woodman, the person in charge, who apparently knows Ira. And he goes up to him and hugs him. Oh, okay. And Ira's like, oh, we're in a hugging relationship? Is that where we're at now? So apparently, Ira used to work under Woodman in army research at the Pentagon before he was fired, left. At this point, it's unclear. And the government was apparently monitoring Ira since he left the government. They were just keeping tabs on him and like monitoring his computer. And that's how they found out about everything. He didn't know that? No, he didn't know. I didn't know that. But General Woodman was just like keeping tabs on him, apparently. It's like, oh, look, they found aliens. Let's go lock it down. <laughs> didn't see that coming. But also, my thought is, that's how they found it. They didn't figure out from, I don't know, the giant meteor impact that happened. <laughs> <laughs> nope, just the aliens. And then Harry, because, again, this is his character, is like a gas. He's like monitoring the computer. Just so you know, all those girls in those photos were over 18. Uh oh. And I'm like, all right. Oh, Harry. No, it's, he's the worst. So as they're talking, guess who shows up, Danielle? Um, the it's our geeky, geek, sexy scientist. Geeky but sexy government scientist. <laughs> yeah, it's Julianne Moore. Oh, yeah, she's geeky but sexy. Sure. She shows up as Dr. Allison Reed, who is from the CDC. She's like the deputy director of the CDC. Nice. And as she approaches, she steps up onto the platform where the general and they are. She trips, and when she falls, Harry and Ira ogle her underwear as she gets back up. Oh, that was nice. Because they're heroes. <laughs> Not the heroes we deserve, but the heroes we need. <laughs> No, they're neither of those, Daniel. They're they're uh, they're they're trash people. They're like, oh, garter pouch. Like, huh? We know formal wear and stuff. There's like, it's terrible. It's just the worst kind of objectification and misogyny. (laughs) You tell them. You write that letter back to Evolution 2001. They should know. They did even in 2001. I mean, they did. This is really a movie that's more like 1960s than anything in that regard. So she berates Ira as reckless and dangerous, which, yeah, he is. Yeah. Because he didn't tell anybody. He's, like, trying to cover this whole thing up and, like, take a living alien species and potentially expose Russian Mandy to it. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, she's right. CDC should be involved. Absolutely. And Woman and Reed explain that they, they're they taking over, but they'll keep Harry and Ira in the loop for some reason. Like, yeah, we'll keep you in the loop. But Harry and Ira are just incensed by it. They're like, no, this is our discovery. You're not going to muscle us out of our territory. What stops Ira from publishing all the research that he's done so far nothing so they'd probably behoove them to keep them in the loop well i mean maybe but like 
why they're, they're clearly not competent they're not good scientists and they're clearly reckless enough to be a hazard right but they're reckless out on their own too well i mean don't keep them in the loop just keep them out of it like say you're done you're no longer involved in this product you, you don't get to handle aliens because you brought your freaking class of <laughs> undergraduates here on a field Sam, trip. however <laughs> <laughs> that's again the further they're kept away from this thing the better like they, they that's fine I'm, I'm okay with that <laughs> but they have all this information and they have samples i'm just saying that left to their own devices they should be confiscated <laughs> I'm saying, which will happen. So don't worry about that. Oh, good. And they're explaining like the armory has set up an airlock around the site. They secured things. Like, really? That's what should have been done from the start. An airlock, containment zone, all the right things to do. Yeah. Go government. <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah. In this movie, they're kind of the good people. I got to say, they're giving a bad rap. So Dr. Reed tries to explain that, you know, they're following well-established procedures. I just sort of like interrupts her. like, excuse me, ma'am. And then talks to General Woodman. And Woodman's like, no, uh, you don't deserve to be here. You're dangerous. You can go now. And in a move that completely vindicates General Woodman removing them from this site, as they get back into their Jeep, they're yelling about how this isn't over. We're going to come back for you. We're going to figure this out. And then Ira moons them, just pulls out a big old pressed ham, presses up against the windshield of the Jeep as they drive off. So, you know, model scientists and people you really want to have working on this kind of discovery. Stellar. And I just really hate these people. I really hate them. I can tell Sam. Tell us how you really feel about them. So we cut to a courtroom where Ira and Harry are trying to ask a judge to rule the government has to let them be forced back into the site, to like force the government to let them back into the research site because the mean old government is just keeping them out. But we were here first. That's all they, the only leg they have to stand on, right? Yeah, that's it. That's their entire argument. Is, we were here first, Your Honor. We called dibs. <laughs> so at this point, Dr. Reed deposes Ira and reveals that he was dismissed from his previous government research job because he developed an experimental anthrax vaccine and just administered it to nearly 140,000 soldiers. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the soldiers contracted all these side effects, like severe diarrhea, memory loss, facial paralysis, temporary blindness, bleeding gums, yada, 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 so on, so on and so on. And so it's a very good reason to fire somebody. Yes, valid. And apparently this is the reason that soldier was so angry. I just figured that out. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense now. And so again, I'm like, yeah, that's all very reasonable. I'm on the government side. He should have been fired. You don't give an experimental vaccine to 140,000 people without testing it first. <laughs> so they're walking back to his office after that failure at the courtroom. Ira and Harry find the government has confiscated all of their samples and they took, <laughs> and they even, quote unquote, took the JPEG files. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, I don't want to be too pro-government, but having alien samples stored in a community college freezer by these two bozos seems like a CDC hazard, if there ever there was one. Yes, 100% agree. And to show that they're mature and reasonable people, Harry and Ira... That night, dress as soldiers, uh, Ira as a colonel, and they sneak into the meteorite site by cutting through some barbed wire. Where did they get these clothes? So Ira had them because he was in the military when he was working at the Pentagon, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know about Harry. They just went to a costume shop or something. <laughs> I <don't> military <laughs> RS. <laughs> sure. And then so they sneak into this place. They work their way to the airlock that takes them into the cavern that's been set up with the lab. It's this big dome tent that's been set up as the entrance point over the hole where the meteorite impact. And they curve the hole with the meteor site with this other like plastic covering. And as they're walking through, they see an insect-like creature being carried through in a specimen chamber. And they're like, oh, weird. Lots of stuff is going on. There's not like cameras or something? We'll get to that, Danielle, please. Okay. <laughs> 
I promise this movie addresses all of those things, but very dumbly in a very <laughs> stupid way. So Dr. Reed walks in, they spot her, but she drops some files because apparently she's infected with the late 90s, early 2000s disease <laughs> that struck all pretty women in movies, which is being clumsy. It makes them more charming, Sam. Yeah, that's not nearly necessary. She's by far the most likable person in the movie so far. <laughs> the bar was very low. She just had to be not obnoxious. <laughs> but Harry and I are just sort of, well, there she is, and then just walk into the elevator. I think they should get on some biohazard suits and go to the elevator that takes them down to the cave with the meteorite, and no one seems to mind. <laughs> I don't understand where all these guards are. Well, as they're in the elevator and Harry is dancing for some reason, uh, they're spotted on cameras, and they're like, you know those people? I don't know those people. Uh, maybe they're from Sector 12. It's probably fine. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah. <laughs> So Harry and Ira, they go into the meteorite site, which now has this whole ecosystem around it. There's bugs and lizards and big creatures and small creatures and all of these plants and fungus. It's like teeming with life. Okay, so somehow this meteorite has managed to build its own ecosystem. Yeah, it somehow has managed to manifest the mass of an entire ecosystem from this dusty cave. Which is not possible. I mean, unless it's pulling matter out of the air like trees do, <laughs> like where they take carbon dioxide to make the tree. Right. No, not that I'm aware. Like the mass <laughs> has to come from somewhere. <laughs> just seems kind of wild. It's not just like a new species. It's like a full-on ecosystem no. that's taking over this cave. Yeah, it's not just a few cells or whatever. Like this thing, like these things magic themselves bigger whenever they need to. It's amazing. <laughs> this is great. Okay. And so Harry and Ira just sort of wander around going, ooh, cool, check that out. And... Ira has Harry try to snag a bug specimen, like one of the bugs he wants to like grab it and put it in a chamber so they can take it back to the community college to study it, because that seems safe. Oh, yeah. They don't seem to care, though. They already took flatworms and ooze and <laughs> no. meteorites. And this is why they, they should have been kept out more strongly. <laughs> but as Harry tries to snag it, this like giant spider creature with like a butt head, like a, a head that's a little like a butt, eats it. And Harry's like... Hey, Ira, doesn't that remind you of Dr. Reed? She's been throwing it at you so much already. And it's just like he goes off on this big rant about like how much Dr. Reed is clearly attracted to Ira. And I'm like, wait a minute. None of that's true. (laughs) And she doesn't express any interest in either of you. And you are a terrible person (laughs) to look at some creature like, oh, I might be a girl's butt. (laughs) They're 100% the kind of boys that like pull girls' hair. Finally, Dr. Reed is called and asked, hey, did you authorize a walkthrough? She's like, no. Let's go see what this is. She goes up to the computer monitor and over the computer she hears harry and ira talking through their probably there's there's radios in the suits mm-hmm. and they're talking about her and just like the most degrading terms charming like you're calling her a humorless ice queen who just needs a good humping no oh, why are they yeah. so terrible <laughs> yeah we are like half an hour more into this movie and the characters our heroes are by all intents purpose the worst people on the planet they are like <laughs> worse than teenage boys in in the cody banks movie in that locker room scene <laughs> And they're adults, which makes it like 10 times worse. They're adult teachers who are in charge of teenage girls or you know young women. One of the coaches, the volleyball team there. <laughs> they shouldn't be allowed anywhere near other people. They're, they're <laughs> awful. Like all humans. And so Dr. Reed goes down to confront them. He's like, you're violating the judge's order to be here. I can have you arrested. Ira goes, you want to talk about violations? What about our lab? You took all of our stuff. And I'm like, buddy, not the same thing. A. B, it doesn't excuse you being here. And C, I hope she does have you arrested. (laughs) 
least monitored more closely from now on. But Dr. Reed is like, I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't do that. She clearly is not in the loop about all that that's happening. And right. I was like insisting that she's trying to steal their credit on the discovery and they're bickering. I'm like, it's all just about credit for Ira. He makes him seem like all he cares about is getting glory. <laughs> it's the theme here, Danielle. Yes, I think I think we've got the theme. <laughs> Sam really, really hates Ira and Harry. <laughs> I don't mean to belabor, but like every scene they have is an opportunity for them to express how terrible they are as people. And they manage to do it every scene, it seems like. I'm just relaying what's going on. I, I'm sorry if it's the same <laughs> terrible over and over again, but it's true. So anyway, while they're bickering, a like mosquito-like insect manages to get into Harry's suit and he panics. And they try to kill it by turning up the oxygen in his suit so it suffocates. But then it burrows under Harry's skin. Oh, no. <laughs> no, gross. So cut to them wheeling him out on a gurney because that seems safe. And there's this lump under his skin crawling around like the mummy Eww, scene no. with the scarab beetle. <laughs> I already established that I don't like that scene. <laughs> yeah, well, it's happening here. And they're like, okay, we gotta amputate the leg. And Harry's like, no, do I take the leg and it's like oh it's going for the testicles oh no i have to take the leg because it's that kind of movie <laughs> yeah i know right and so the solution they come up with is to use forceps to catch the insect in his colon which are going to enter rectally you know what because, why yeah <laughs> how, apparently a bug under your skin can be accessed through your colon yeah apparently like, what it crawls into the colon and then they're just gonna wing it they'll just stick it up there and hope for the best yeah this is their whole plan <laughs> so they flip harry over and they jam this thing up his butt no, and they not how cold and the scene work. just goes on forever like this is a comedy i get it and there are some legitimately funny lines and funny parts of this movie but there's also a lot of this kind of humor which when i saw this when i was 13 in the theaters i probably was fairly into but i just i, I find it so off-putting especially <laughs> that these characters are so terrible that I, I, they're not likable enough to pull off this like oh poor guy you know whatever kind of thing this shtick it just goes on forever and it's not funny and they manage to pull the insect out and then magically yay so then we cut to the country club with wayne again remember him He's no still I, I keep forgetting he exists actually and i'm most invested in him i want to know more about wayne <laughs> i literally wrote in my notes this is the b story i forgot was the thing because <laughs> it doesn't matter so far <laughs> So he's bartending, that same jerk who degraded him at the pool comes up to him and degrades him a little bit more at the bar, and so he gives him a really strong drink, and they apparently give this man the confidence to arrange to have a sex date with one of the other women at the party on the green of one of the holes of the golf course. Okay, yeah, it's a choice. Sure. So as this guy is setting up the picnic on the green with champagne and everything, waiting for the girl to show up, he goes down to the water hazard, and this lizard thing jumps out of the water hazard, and then drags him into it and just murders him when his girlfriend approaches. That's intense. And so she screams and runs back to the party. He's like, oh, he's dead. And Wayne just kind of smiles like, oh, that guy I don't like is dead. Yeah. <laughs> How big is the lizard? Um, It's like alligator sized. No, it's a thick lizard. Yeah. In my big. head, it was like a smaller lizard. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a copy. It's like an actual so big lizard. We're assuming that that fish turned into the lizard. Is that the, the concept? Something like that. Or or there are more of them. They're all escaping. The point is contamination has been breached. Right, obviously. And so we cut back to the meteorite site where Dr. Reed is sitting down with Ira at a table, just chit-chatting for some reason. She's like, how'd you end up like this? What were you thinking? Harry could have died. And Ira's like, I was desperate. This discovery was my ticket out of here, which is not a justification. Yeah, like, it's not. Why is she talking to him? Good question. And then she's like, you know, I'm not just an ice queen in need of a hump. It's like, oh, you heard that? She's like, yeah, I heard it. You don't know me. And then just lets them leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
okay. Come on, Julian yeah. Moore, be better. Yeah. I mean, I was on your side until you sort of like started sympathizing with these terrible people. <laughs> so back at the college the next day, Wayne shows up to Ira's office with a trash bag full of dead murder lizard. Why? Good question. They didn't say why. So Wayne asks, oh, you guys teach here? And he's like, wait a minute. How'd you find him and with them at their office if you didn't know they taught here? Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> So my best guess is that Wayne remembered them from the meteorite site and knew that they were teachers and somehow tracked them back to his community college to bring them this dead lizard. Sure. Okay. How did the lizard die? So what happened was Wayne explains that the guy at the country club was killed and they chased the lizard around for a while when it suddenly died choking, like it was asphyxiating. So did it so eat the human too fast? So they still haven't evolved <laughs> to breathe oxygen. Oh, okay. Yeah. And apparently he was just allowed to take the dead carcass with him to this community college. Yeah. No one's like, didn't they like animal control or somebody? Like, no, just give it to Wayne. Wayne can have it. (laughs) You don't know what Wayne does in his spare time, Sam. That's a a good question. I don't really want to know, actually, if it has something to do with dead lizards. So then we cut to some random house where a bunch of women are interrupted as they're having tea or something because one of them spots a bunch of worms coming up under the doorway of one of the doors in the in the kitchen. Ew. And they open the door and there's this ugly lizard thing like, oh, look at this cute little dog. Like, we don't have a dog. Where did that thing come from? Dogs and lizards look noticeably different. It's very different. It looks like it tries to have like the big eyes, but it looks horrifying. <laughs> it is I would be out of there so fast. This is before one of the women puts her hand near the dog to like pet it and opens his mouth up and like another mouth comes from inside of like the alien, the xenomorph mouth and like bites her hand. They all start screaming and they call the cops and the thing chokes and drops dead. Now she's infected. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. I don't know. You're like, how are they spreading? They're just spreading, Danielle. They, they don't infect people. They just outcompete. You them. don't know that they're aliens. Well, I guess, Danielle, that's a good point. Sure. <laughs> But if she is infected, it's never brought up. You don't know. And she's like some behind the scenes story plot that we never get back to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of things in this movie that just seem to be ignored. Like uh, Nadine. Remember her? Yeah. I haven't seen her she in a while. <laughs> no, she won't. That's it. She's done. <laughs> oh, okay. Poor Nadine. <laughs> we hardly knew you. Yeah, we did. We knew very little about her. <laughs> So now we cut to Dr. Reed. She's being dropped off at her hotel, and Ira was in the lobby waiting for her. Why? And he accosts her and is like, they're spreading. We have to shut it down. We have to kill these things while we can. And she's like, we've got to handle What are you talking about? Like, There's a giant lizard back in my lab that's dead. So they're clearly getting out. And she's like, we heard about the country club thing. We're on top of it. They're out yeah. in public, and they're surviving for a while, but then dying because of the oxygen well, issues. I think... Yeah, that they get out and then they can't survive very long outside their atmosphere. It's like they're going exploring and then keep dying as they explore. Okay. But like exploring in that way, like where bugs will sort of like push themselves against a windshield or whatever, mm-hmm. or into a, like a, a bug zapper. But Ira finally convinces Dr. to at least talk to Dr. Woman about the idea. And she's like, fine, I'll talk to him. And then just as she's getting the elevator to leave, he goes, oh, just one more thing. Do you think you could ever be attracted to me? And apparently this just charms the heck out of her when he says this. What? Why? She's like smiling (laughs) as the door closes. And the correct answer is no, because as he walks away, Iris smiles to himself and goes, yeah, she's mine. Uh, Run away. I, I, I just can't figure out, like, why this goofy alien movie is somehow the most misogynistic film of the early 2000s. Yeah, like, it's impressive. Like, none of this is necessary. Like, the, the alien adventure plot stuff, it, it's fine. Like, it would be, it's a fine movie on its own if it was just that. It kind of reminds me of, oh gosh, what was that? One of the Sheens, I think it was Charlie Sheen was in a movie about aliens trying to terraform the Earth. Uh, anyway, not the point. <laughs> but 
another, another dumb alien movie that just kind of fine on its own. But they have this whole layer of just ickiness to it that detracts from everything else. Yeah. I suppose it's supposed to be funny. Like, it's supposed to be that kind of, like, raunchy humor, but it makes them all seem unlikable. But yeah, raunchy in the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So, to continue this theme, Harry is with Wayne at a diner, and Wayne's like, so, with coaching uh, the women's volleyball team, do you ever get to see them take showers? Why? And Harry's like, oh yeah, all the time. Sometimes I shower with them. Not what? And he's probably joking as a character, but still, like, what are you doing? Anyway, then Iris shows up and they're telling Wayne about the aliens because apparently they just tell everybody now. And they didn't tell anyone before. Just spread the news. Yeah, right? And so Iris notices that his ex is sitting at the booth behind them. His ex is played by Sarah Silverman in this one scene. Mm-hmm. And she's on a date with a cop. And suddenly Ira just sort of like starts ragging on her like, hey, did you know she stole my shirt? You're a cop. Can't you arrest her for that? And just like harassing her on this date. So he's good as an ex-boyfriend too. That's good to know. Or ex-husband or whatever. Yeah, he's just terrible to all women basically. <laughs> And then there's a call on the cop's radio about an animal attack. And so the cop gets up to leave and Harry and Ira and now Wayne, who's part of the crew, I guess, all decide to go check out this animal attack. So Wayne has teamed up finally with our anti-heroes. I wouldn't call it anti-heroes either. You still like anti-heroes. <laughs> We're just gonna let's spin it that these are the antagonists. I don't know what happens in the rest of this movie, but let's just assume they're actually the antagonists and see what happens. (laughs) They were in my heart, Daniel. So the three of them just drive up to this house and walk up to that same cop who saw them in the diner harassing his date. And they're like, talk their way into like, oh, yeah, we're here to look at the thing. Make sure there's no contamination. All right, just go on in. (laughs) Why do they keep talking their way? Why do the police just keep letting them walk into these scenes? I don't know. This is a very small town, apparently. It's like 10,000 people. So maybe. So they go in and they find the ugly dog thing down the floor and they conclude it crawled up through a crack in the dirt in that little room with like a basement access or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Wayne comes in from outside. He's like, hey, you gotta take a look at this. And he takes him outside to this field embankment cliff thing where there are just like dozens, maybe hundreds of dragon lizard things just lying dead on the ground. That's not good. So Ira concludes they're crawling out trying to breathe the atmosphere like they're expanding. And Harry, in the one moment he's competent in the entire movie, he's like, Oh, they're coming from this cave network. And he spouts out all these facts about this cave that don't really matter besides the fact that they're coming from a cave network. (laughs) I'm glad he had a little moment. And so one of the dragon things like staggers up because it's still alive and it hacks up like this giant loogie egg sack thing. Oh, dear. And then dies. And out of the egg sack comes another little dragon that quickly grows to the same size and it's just happily breathing air like oxygen is fine that's not good also what happened to the mitosis i thought they 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 uh they bred by cell division like the flatworms but guess not apparently not <laughs> So did they take, not to harp on this, just curious, did they take yeah. that woman who was bitten and put her into some kind of containment facility, like what what would happen in real life nope. if you're bit by an alien? She, nothing happens. Whoever happens to her is unknown to us <laughs> as the audience. Yeah. In my head canon, she is in a completely separate movie where she turns into some alien hybrid. Okay, Danielle, you can, you can do that. <laughs> I just did. It's in there. You can't take it out. Great. All right. I'm happy for it. I'm glad you found some joy. <laughs> So, so she threw up the babies, or he, well, they, it, they threw up the babies. It, it threw up the baby, and the thing grows to the same size as the adult in just record time. Apparently, they can just manifest matter of nowhere, and it flies off, and it crashes into a mall and just starts wrecking havoc in this mall. How big did it get? It got, like, the size of a bus. Oh, dear. Yeah, no, it's huge. It's, like, able to pick people up. Is, it's big. Is there a cap to how big these creatures can get? Mm, we'll find out. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. 
So Ira and his crew show up and they steal some shotguns from a sporting's good rack and start loading them because they want to hunt the thing while the mall is in turmoil. I'm like, these are not the people I want wielding shotguns in a crowded (laughs) mall. Or helping you with anything ever. Right, no. So they hear some screams because the creature attacks a young woman in a dressing room, in a changing room, because of course, and then it flies around the mall and they chase it and then they lose it. They somehow lose it in the mall and then everybody's suddenly calm. How calling. do you lose a giant bus-sized creature in a mall? With a screaming woman in its claws. <laughs> I don't know. But then everyone's just sort of like calm. They're like just chilling. Like none of the people who are panicking a moment before are panicking. They're just standing around looking at everybody like, all right, cool. I guess that's done. Does it secrete some kind of hormone that makes them all like chill forget (laughs) (laughs) so wayne gets up on a mic and starts like doing bird calls and then starts singing because he wants to draw the lizard thing back out but if it's on a speaker well first off why would bird calls work secondly (laughs) like if you're on a speaker system it's not like it's a direct sound it's not a specific place that it's drawing to it's in the speaker system yeah yeah, i agree but then he starts singing i forget the song he starts singing but it's like you're so beautiful or something like that he starts singing that song or something Uh and they're, you know, bantering back and forth. Oh, stop. It's going to help. Then they hear the creature scream. So apparently it's working. That, no. Shenanigans. A yep. hundred yep. days of shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so the creature comes out and flies at Wayne, but Harry manages to tackle the woman out of its claws as Ira blasts her with the shotgun. They kill it. They're heroes. Everyone in the mall applauds. Okay. <laughs> and... You might think that them learning about how to draw the things out with sound and set traps might be something they'd use in the movie later. But it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't come back. But how nope. would you even know that that would work on another? There's like multiple species and yeah. they're my whatever evolutionizing. Why is this so scene quickly? in the movie at all, Danielle? What? I don't even know why this entire scene exists. I don't know. Besides them to make some quips and to have a fun action scene. Like, and they do have this hero shot. Like it makes them out to be big heroes. Like they all stand off the shotguns. They talk them. It's like, oh, so cool i'm like these people are awful why are you trying to glorify them (laughs) this is by far the most interesting part in the movie so far though so you know to be fair that's true i guess So we cut to a montage of more and more attacks and the news is talking about this and more creature sightings. And then a helicopter brings Governor Lewis, who is played by Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. to the military facility and starts dressing down General Woodman. He's like, how come you didn't tell me about this? You know, I'm the governor. I'm like, hold up. Would the governor be informed if this was like a secret military operation? <laughs> probably not if it was a secret military operation. Yeah, probably not. And he's like, going to threaten to jail them. And I'm like, wait a minute. A governor doesn't have any authority over federal troops that I'm aware of. <laughs> I assume when it started like seeming like they were going to break out of their hold, maybe they would have informed the governor. Maybe, but that's like, this is like, it just happened. Right. It, it was not that long ago. Yeah. And again, he's like treating them like he is the president. He's like, you know, I'm in charge here. You do what I tell you. They're like, yes, sir. And like, he's not in your chain of command. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. I, he's a governor. I respect them. But generals don't answer the governor. I'm sorry. They answer the president. <laughs> that's not how this works. <laughs> But nonetheless, General Woodman's apologizing and he's like, oh, it's Ira and Harry. They were reckless. They breached contamination. They broke into the facility and they didn't tell anybody for a long time. So it's their fault this stuff is happening. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of true, right? They're like, it is their fault. It is like a 50% chance that they're the ones that spread all the yeah. aliens. <laughs> But Dr. Reed's like, wait a minute, that's BS. That's not, it's not their fault. But Dan Aykroyd's like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't care about whose fault it is. I want to know what's happening. And they explain that the aliens would take over all of Arizona in a week and then the entire U.S. in two months at the rate of reproduction or something. That's not good. No. This has a lot of similarities to Dragon Movie, Sam. You can't remember the name Rain of Fire? I kept thinking Dragonheart and we know that that's not the name of that movie. (laughs) It is not. It's not Dragon Movie either, Daniel. (laughs) 
Reign of Fire. I mean, there's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of, this is like the behind the scenes of what actually happened prior to the start of <laughs> Reign of Fire. If, in your head canon, if you want to make it so that <laughs> this is the prequel to Reign of Fire, go for it. Now, didn't we talk about we wish there was a, pre- a prequel that had more information about how the dragons came to be? <laughs> I guess be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. And somewhere along the way, I'm expecting them to realize that these creatures have evolved before and took out the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Another asteroid. Well, the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs might See. have killed these aliens with exactly. it. Exactly. See? You solved the Cre- game. Oh my done gosh. It. I'm so smart. <laughs> You're the smartest. <laughs> Good job, Danielle. So during this private meeting between the governor and this general, Iron Harry and Wayne all just show up and walk right in. Yeah, as you do. Just bust in. They're not stopped by, I don't know, all the soldiers around them or anything. <laughs> and General Woodman's like, arrest them. They didn't contain the things from the start. They broke into our facility. You know, we have to get rid of them, which is pretty fair. And Harry's like, you're a liar. And the governor's like, I don't care about these squabbles. How do we fix this? So General Woodman proposes this plan. We evacuate all the people. And the governor's like, that's 10,000 people. I'm like, that's not a lot. I mean, we evacuate for like hurricanes. That's on those same numbers. Right. So. And this is an alien invasion. So I think that's not crazy. But anyway, and so the general suggests that they burn the aliens with napalm, like Load up all the caves with napalm, burn them out, and then kill any of that try to escape the caves. I have a better idea. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. I think that they should take the nanobot technology that was in- <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> let's tie all of our recent movies together. You mean from Cody Banks? <laughs> from Cody Banks, that- the nanobite technology that like eats stuff, and they should uh-huh. spread that out to this, like anywhere. It would destroy it in like minutes. <laughs> you know what I would do, Danielle? What? They know oxygen is toxic to them. Well, I just flood the cave with oxygen. I mean, yeah, that would be smarter than trying to figure out where Cody Banks keeps his t- nano evil nano, what was the name of that? It was not Cody Banks, it's the other guy. <laughs> the evil nanobot corporation. Oh, Eris. <laughs> evil robotic informationalist improvement system. <laughs> yeah. How do I remember your dumb acronym? <laughs> but think about it. Wouldn't the evil robotic improvement system work really well right now? <laughs> It would certainly do something. <laughs> but that's his plan. His plan is to napalm them to death, which again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm an apologist for the military industrial complex, but that's not a terrible plan. Like, it'll probably work. It's overkill, but, you know, napalming all the alien Gouda to, to heck and back would probably get rid of it. It's so, true. you know, it's not like the plans of like nuking the moon or something where people are doing <laughs> dumb stuff. Driving it out of the solar system. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> But Ira's like, we have no idea how they'd react to this attack on a cellular level. I'm like, it's fire. They're going to burn. That's what they're going to do. But the meeting is interrupted as a general is called away to look at something on the monitor. And he sees the aliens have evolved into primates oh. with intelligence. No, no. Proto-humans. <laughs> They've been taking out the security cameras. And then they hear the elevator activate. Like, none of our people are down there. So all the soldiers arm up and they're pointing guns at the elevator. The elevator comes up and they open the door. But there's nothing inside. So they... Ooh. Ooh spooky. They, they, they turned into primates. But then magically, instantly got smart enough to understand security cameras. And elevators. <laughs> and how to send elevators up as misdirection as, and not just right in them. It's not like one or two generations down the line. It's not like a, an hour from now they understand it. They understand it right this minute, the minute they became primates. <laughs> well, I don't know when the last time they became primates. They could have become primate hours before. Who knows? I guess. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes so much sense to anything in this movie, Daniel. Sure. I'm going with it. You, you go, Sam. And that's when the apes leap out of that plastic covering over the whole and just start attacking people. Okay, I have like questions. They drag, 
Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me finish this, this scene first, and you can di- dissect it all you want. Okay. Zaves jump out of the cover, and they drag one of the people, the military guys, back into him. He's dead. And start attacking people, but Wayne manages to kill one after he grabs a pistol he finds lying around. And the governor's like, okay, General, you have my support for whatever you need to do. All right, that's that scene. What was your question, <laughs> So Danielle? visually, I need to understand. Yeah. Um, are humans playing these primate ape-like characters? <sighs> They're about the same size. I don't know if it's bad CG or people in... It's not bad CG. It's actually the effects of this movie aren't that bad, for, especially for the time. They're pretty good. But I don't know if those are people in costumes or, or CG things because I watched this on YouTube. Uh-huh. It's one of the free YouTube movies uh-huh. that they, you can watch for now on YouTube. And it was only at like 480p resolution. <laughs> like it was not a, a high quality version of this film. So it was a little blurry is what I'm saying. <laughs> that then tells us it could either be CG or maybe humans. <laughs> I said, it, again, it's not like this was, you know, high definition video. You're like, oh yeah, I can see the, you know, the fur or whatever I could cost. It was hard to like make out a lot of the details. So are they more like ape-like than humanoid? You said fur. They're very fur. ape-like. They're, they're, they're kind of like, if you imagine, like just before Neanderthals, they look kind of like Bigfoot. Okay. They have little alien eyes and they're all furry. They look, you know, they look like they look kind of the apes from 2001 A Space Odyssey or oh, a Planet of the Apes. They look like the Planet of the Apes apes. That's their, that's their closest look. Perfect. Got it. Just want to visualize correctly as we continue on this journey together, Sam. Okay. <laughs> Well, you'll never see them again, so that's fine. <laughs> that's okay, but I, I just want to know. So again, the the governor gives carte blanche to General Woodman after he sees the ape attack. So and okay, Dr. Reed is- sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> At <laughs> what point <laughs> does it become ethically very questionable to be killing off these creatures? Uh it's a good question, Danielle. They clearly have some sentience, but on the other hand. They're going to wipe out humanity and, and replace us. Sure. So it's kind of like a, you know, this is for our survival. This is the only option. Like, you're not going to parlay with them. Okay. Sure. All right. I'm not saying I justify it, but I'm like, you know, needs must. It's either us or them. All right. Got it. I agree. It's kind of like, oh, maybe they'll evolve into something intelligent we communicate to if we give them a few more hours, but they don't want to wait that long. Well, they're killing things in the meantime. So I kind of get the idea. Yeah. Anyway, so Dr. Reed is, for some reason, very upset at General Woodman after he orders that Ira and the rest of the posse are removed. He's like, I can't believe you're doing this plan. He, she calls him a very nasty name. I don't understand why she's on their side all of a sudden. That's my question, Danielle. This is going to blow your mind. Because Dr. Reed goes out and chases after Ira and Harry to get into their Jeep. And she's like, you know what? I got your samples and your research files back. No. So you get all your credit. Why? I, I'm sick of being the deputy director of the CDC. So I'm coming with you. And also, Ira, we're dating now. Well, so she, She's better. She's yeah. better than this. <laughs> yeah. So she gives up her job as a respected scientist at the CDC, the deputy director of the CDC, to chase after a couple of real terrible people and just leaves uh, for no reason. Like, nothing, they, they haven't offered a better plan. It's not like they said they had a plan. They just said, oh, napalm's bad. Uh, we don't have to do. That's terrible. I wanted to like her and look what she did. Yeah, no, she was such a great character until she's just like... Oh, I'm suddenly attracted to Dave Duchovny, so I'm going to throw away my entire career and identity to be with him. Wayne is now the best character, and we know nothing about him. (laughs) That's why he's the best character. I know, it's terrible. This movie does not write women well. (laughs) Like, she's the only female character, really, in this movie, and this is the arc they give her. It doesn't write men well, either. They're, like, terrible human beings. That's true. I can't argue with that. (laughs) So anyway, during a montage of rock music playing, the army evacuates the town, but Ira and his group just sort of drive through, just past the army, like, all right, fine, and let them drive up to the community college, the school, which is having an end-of-the-world party, a la 
Independence Day when everyone's on top of the buildings uh-huh. waiting for the aliens to, to kill them. And I'm like, why is this allowed to happen? Why is, aren't they shutting this down and getting those people out of there? I can't tell you, Sam. <laughs> It's a big old party. So we cut to the lab. We're inside Ira and Harry's lab again, and the camera lingers on the back of Dr. Reed's t-shirt, because now she's taking off her coat, she's wearing a t-shirt, and on the back of it is a periodic table, for some reason. On the back of the shirt is a periodic table. And it's very out of date. It's like a decade or more out of date by the time this movie came out. It's not a good periodic table. (laughs) And again, on the back of the shirt, where she can't see it. Like, that'd be on the front of... Anyway, point is... Scientific accuracy, that's what Sam brings to this podcast. I have periodic table shirts, Danielle. I'm not too proud to admit that. And they're on the front where they should be. So you can see them too. And you can look down and go, what was that again? <laughs> and and the radioactive elements glow in the dark. Oh, fancy. Yeah. <laughs> very proud of that shirt. Should be. So anyway, I was very irate about that. But Ira is talking to a goo sample, the original goo sample from the meteorite. He's like, hey, you're my first one. We're the first one you met. How do we kill you? And apparently everyone just sort of watch him talk to this goo sample and not do any sort of test. It's like, okay, that's the plan now. Just talking to the goo sample? Just talking to the goo sample. I mean, I really think fire would work. I'm on your side. <laughs> right. They discuss how, hey, look, that goo is still goo. It didn't evolve into all these other things. And they're like, well, I don't know why that happened. It was kept frozen. Maybe that did something. And so while they're in this classroom, Harry lights up a cigarette in the lab and just flicks the match away and it lands on the goo, which catches fire briefly. And then as the fire gets out, the goo starts to rapidly grow and evolve. Like it suddenly springs up in those big tentacle roots and climbs the walls. It becomes huge just out of nowhere. So heat? So apparently Ira's like, heat, heat is the catalyst. That's how they're evolving. They were dormant in the in the meteorite, in the meteor, until the atmosphere and got warm, and the warmth of Earth is causing them to evolve very quickly. Sure, okay. And I'm like, fine. Yes, chemical reactions go faster with heat, sure. But also, napalm is very different yeah, than a like, match. That's like a completely different thing. At a certain point, combustion does, you, you can't like combust something and still have it evolve, like it, it grow and absorb mass from somewhere. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> There's a cap to how much heat can be consumed. And so it just magically gains mass whenever it gets hot, apparently. And so Dr. Reed tries to call a general woman to warn him about the napalm plan, but he refuses to take her call because pettiness. And then the two see minus brothers from the very beginning <laughs> yeah, of the movie danielle um, i told you they'd be back they walk into the lab with some beers we're like hey dr kane let's get you messed up world's gonna end why are they in the caves not in the cave they're in the did i say cave i'm sorry i meant classroom no, was, okay they all can do the, the classroom that harry and ira and everyone are at you know they're waiting for this goo sample to stop growing or why whatever. are they in the classroom even remember there's a party at the school sure. the, the world party? But who goes to the classroom when they're having a party i don't know they went looking for dr Kane for some reason. Okay, sure. Okay. And we're looking for Ira to party with him. I don't know, Danielle. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so they're partying it up with Ira. So I don't remember a lot of this movie from when I was 13. But I remember this part of the movie because even then I thought this was incredibly stupid. <laughs> okay. So they're talking and this is when Ira has an aha moment. This is where he solves the problem of how to kill the aliens. Napalm. He's staring at the back of the shirt, the creative table on the back of Dr. Reed's shirt. Mm-hmm. And he concludes that since we're carbon-based life forms, and if you go two down and one to the right on the periodic table, you find arsenic, which is toxic to us, that these aliens, which are nitrogen-based, 
And since we're not the nitrogen-based, I don't that was ever mentioned before in the movie. If it was, I missed it. No, I didn't, but, you didn't tell me that, so I didn't know. I'm fairly certain it wasn't mentioned, but apparently they're nitrogen-based. And if you follow the same pattern, going two down and one to the right, you find selenium. What? No, I don't think that's how that works. It doesn't. He's like, ah, selenium. So that means it should be as lethal to them as arsenic is to us. <laughs> I don't think any of that is how that works. <laughs> that is not how that works. <laughs> it's not how that works at all. Okay, okay. I have, oh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, looking things up because it was so stupid. I had to like quantify how stupid this was. <laughs> like, I need a number about how stupid this is. <laughs> like, for one thing, the reason arsenic is toxic to us is because of its chemistry with our biology. So I looked this up on Wikipedia, the source for all knowledge in the universe. <laughs> Because I'm not a biologist, but if even I could spend three minutes looking this up, then the biology professor, apparently disgraced, but still brilliant biology professor, shouldn't know a little bit more about this than me. <laughs> and Wikipedia says, arsenic interferes with cellular longevity by allosteric inhibition of an essential metabolic enzyme, pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, okay. which catalyzes the oxidation of pyruvate to acetyl coenzyme A. With the enzyme inhibited, the energy system of the cell is disrupted, resulting in cellular apoptosis. So Got it. that's what arsenic kills us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to assume that these aliens have a complex protein biology, enzyme-based biology that is similar enough to us, but just enough different that it reacts to selenium to make this at all make sense. Yeah, it's bananas. <laughs> Furthermore, I just want to point this out, Wikipedia has this to say, some species of bacteria obtain their energy in the absence of oxygen by oxidizing various fuels while reducing arsenate to arsenite. Under oxidative environmental conditions, some bacteria use arsenate as fuel. So, So there is life. Carbon-based life that uses arsenic-based compounds as their fuel source. not toxic to them. It's their energy source. How funny would it have been if somehow they were getting selenium and when you added it to them, they like started to hyper-evolve again? (laughs) Fire would have killed them, but the selenium is what? (laughs) I just read two very boring paragraphs of text that doesn't make a lot of sense to me as someone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, and I probably read it very poorly. But even that, I can tell that their notion about, oh, if I just look at the same chemical pattern on the periodic table, it must have the exact same chemistry, doesn't make sense for so many reasons. Like, first off, there are other elements on the table that also kill us. He's like, this is the poison for us. I'm like, no, what about lead? <laughs> yeah. What changing. about radon? <laughs> what about, like, cadmium? There are many other elements on the table that are totally toxic to us. Not just, like, arsenic is the magic one element that is toxic to us. It's so stupid. It's, it's awful. Even at 13. Uh, you, you are not a, you're not a scientist either, Danielle. And you heard that and you're like, oh, that's dumb. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's dumb. dumb. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that's dumb. It's dumb. So I was like, I guess we need about, oh, 500 gallons of selenium to kill them. I'm like, oh, that's a number you pulled out of your ass. <laughs> Where do you get selenium from? Well, we're like, how are we going to get that in amount? And this is when the two C-minus brothers are like, we know how to get that. It's in Head and Shoulders. The active ingredient in Head and Shoulders shampoo is selenium sulfide. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, that's it. That's the best idea we got. We're going with it. And I'm like, what? This is your best idea? Is to take a bunch of shampoo? And use it as a poison for some aliens based on the fact that you saw a pretty L shape in the periodic table? Okay, question. Yeah. So it is not, it is a primary part of dandruff shampoo, but it is not like the only thing in dandruff shampoo. No, it is like a small amount of it. Right. But also, so- and you're on the right track here, Danielle, for why this is dumb, <laughs> because it's selenium sulfide. It's not elemental selenium. Yeah. That's like concluding that selenium sulfide be toxic to them because they have selenium. Your same logic would say that because cyanide is made of carbon and nitrogen, carbon and nitrogen must be toxic to us. <laughs> 
and just curious how much they would need and if it would actually work. <laughs> the answer to both those questions is, I don't know. And it would definitely not work because it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. In this town, this small town, how much dandruff shampoo is in this small town? <laughs> well. Your eight bottles at the grocery store? <laughs> so we cut to the next scene and somehow it's day now. Back to being day. And they're filling up a fire truck they stole, I guess, with shampoo bottles. Like they've just been pouring shampoo bottles into this fire truck Where all night. Where did they get them all from? And also, is that how you fill up a fire truck? Can you just pour shampoo into it? It's like a cap on the top and you just squeeze it in there. I don't know how fire trucks work. Maybe that works. I don't know, but it seems dumb. <laughs> and this is their plan, is to take this fire truck and drive it past all the soldiers who have evacuated the town, right? Drive it to an abandoned silver mine they can use to sneak into the caves and spray their selenium goo over everything and kill it. You, their shampoo. You shampoo. would need shampoo. so much shampoo. And then also, would it clog up the hose system? Yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Should you water it down? Look, does, how does that work? As little as I know about biology, I know less about fire trucks. <laughs> I have a lot of questions about this plan. <laughs> it's dumb is what it is. It doesn't make any sense. None of this should work. The napalm plan is looking way better. Or I liked your plan about just flooding it with oxygen while they still can't breathe oxygen. Right. We know oxygen is toxic to them. They've established that throughout the movie. I thought, oh, that's how they're going to kill it because they can just you know pump some oxygen into the room there or, or at least put a big fan to blow away the hydrogen sulfate ammonia atmosphere. Right. Because it replaces it with like, you just blow our own atmosphere because apparently it's toxic to them. But nope, they're going with either napalm or shampoo. <laughs> Good solutions. Good solutions. No, they're, no, they're not. Danielle. Don't don't patronize these people. <laughs> anyway, so they start to go up to the cave and they start dragging this hose through this cave, and it must be a heck of a long hose to be able to reach this complicated cave network back to the meteorite site. Meanwhile, General Woodman has wrapped up his preparations early. It's like, okay, we gotta set things off early. I'm like, I'm not sure that's how that works. Like, you don't just get to like blow stuff up early because you're like, oh, checklist is done. Let's kick it off early. This is like an explosion, a military operation. You should do it on time. Right. And make sure everything's in the clear. Yeah, right? But anyway, the governor shows up and is like, hey, if you screw this up, I'll bust you down to sergeant. And again, empty threat. You have no authority to do that. <laughs> You're like, okay, governor, thanks. <laughs> right. Anyway, back in the cave, their plan is just to spray the ground around the meteorite with the shampoo. That was supposedly kill everything. But I'm like, what about everything that's already escaped? They're already in the water supply. Yeah, you're they're already like, Yeah, there's no way just by spraying the meteorite so you're going to kill everything with this. It's it's nonsense. But before they can do that, they're interrupted as the napalm explodes. Oh, oh no! no! <laughs> so everything around the meteorite starts just evolving like crazy, like going bananas, going to like giant tendrils and tentacles and all this kind of stuff. I call shenanigans on that too. Yeah, no, it's, it's BS. I also call it BS on the fact that there's no napalm in the meteorite site. <laughs> Which seems like the ideal place to put napalm. Right. The epicenter here is where you should put the most napalm. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not any there because our heroes, quote unquote, just run out and are fine being chased by tentacles. But like there's no fire or explosions in that area. So they're chased out, and above ground, we see this massive blob of alien burst up through the ground. The whole cave system apparently collapsed, and I think ruptures out of the ground. It's like this alien mass has merged into a single massive tentacle blob monster for some reason. <laughs> okay. Like, somehow, the rapid evolution has caused it all to coalesce into a single organism again. That's definitely how evolution works. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they make some mention, like, oh, the best evolution is the simplest. It's gone back to its roots as a single cell. I'm like, all right, that's the BS. <laughs> 
A cell that large would never work for many reasons. But anyway, it starts murdering the military people en masse, and apparently the thing is about to undergo mitosis. It starts to divide. So it's like, oh no, ticking clock. It's going to start replicating and we're all screwed because apparently, again, it can make mass out of magic. Question. As it, it's, it's reverted back to its single cell organism, as it starts to do mitosis again, does the whole process start over again and they become giant primates? I don't know, Danielle. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So Dr. Reed starts driving the fire truck towards the thing, and they find an orifice under the creature. Like, it's, like, sort of propped up. They go under the blob. It's an orifice they find, and it farts on them because it's a movie. <laughs> That's classy. Where's Wayne in all of this? He's on the fire truck with Okay, them. good. I was like, are they using the fire truck without Wayne? <laughs> And the two C-minus brothers are there, too. Perfect. For some reason. They're all just part of the crew suddenly. Anyway, they shove the fire hose up in the orifice. They turn it on. It works. The thing starts to wither and collapse and then explodes, spraying goo everywhere. Hooray! They're heroes. That, that's it. They save the day. Ira and Dr. Reed, they make out for a bit for some reason. <laughs> Dr. Reed can do so much better. <laughs> so much better. Come on, Dr. Reed. They end up at a press conference with the governor, just sort of like an impromptu press conference in the street with them covered in goo. And the governor is introducing Ira and his crew as heroes, the discoverers of this thing. And he's introducing them one by one. And while it's happening, Dr. Reed controls Ira to go sneak off and have sex in the fire truck no. in the middle of this crowded place because reasons. And then a three-eyed smiley face swoops towards the camera as a scene transitions to Ira and the, all of them giving a head shoulders commercial <laughs> i mean they probably would be natural product yep. ambassadors so they do a head and shoulders commercial credits roll the end what happened to all of the other creatures that were not at the site they all got sucked back into the big single cell organism i don't know no. it's very dumb <laughs> i don't think that's how that works sam <laughs> well funny you mention the animated series from what i watch is what happens after all that and so apparently this is about the remnants that survived the big selenium enema. I'm still perplexed by why there is an animated series that did not answer my questions. Yep. <laughs> I don't think that it somehow sucked all of the things back into becoming a single-celled organism. The animated series says the things that weren't there survived, and now they're having to clean them all up. It's like a, a Ghostbusters scenario. Okay, I'm willing to go with that. But the movie is not the animated series, and they just don't address that at all. They're like, no, that's all done. We're done. It's fine. It's Don't worry about it. Do they have to put them in, like, suck them up into a little container? of dandruff shampoo in the in the movie in the, the, or the, in the animated series yeah again i only watched it like i skipped around just to get a sense for it but they use like super soakers filled with shampoo as their weapons Perfect. so okay <laughs> yeah. i'm on board the animated series makes more sense <laughs> Oh, it really does. The movie was just, like, fine. It was a fine, dumb action comedy at the start, you know, if you ignore all the terrible misogyny. Uh -huh. <laughs> but the end, it, it, it veered hard into aggressively <laughs> stupid. It did. Like the whole like they're nitrogen based apparently, and selenium is magically poisonous to them. And the selenium in Head and Shoulder shampoo will work just fine. Like <laughs> the same they thing. They didn't take even a second to test it on any of the other samples they got back from the lab. Right? They could have just taken a drop of shampoo and put it on. Like, does it kill it? They don't need to even try. It. They didn't even test it. They they did the match into the petri dish by accident, but they didn't bother to test if their shampoo would actually kill anything before deploying it. Yeah, that is. This might be our worst science movie, Sam. You know, I, I don't mean to be like a downer and, and rag on this movie too much because I understand like you know dumb comedies gotta be dumb comedies and they can be fun you can just ignore like the dumb science but my problem is like if you ignore the dumb science the characters are so unlikable that they're not fun yeah they really veered into those character traits it seems like if, if the characters were a little bit less aggressively terrible I would have been, been like oh, okay it was dumb but I had fun with it it was you know just a dumb little thing it's fine anyway, and Dr. So. Reed ugh 
What a disappointment, Dr. Reed. I know. She was so like, I thought, okay, maybe she can be like challenging their misogyny, like put them in their place. Like, nope. She's like, no, I, you're asking me if I'll ever be attracted to you. It just somehow charms me enough that I want to be with you. <laughs> Wild man. Yeah. Oh, David Duchovny, I, you're better than this. <laughs> so is Julian Moore. <laughs> Julian Moore, you're better than this. <laughs> yeah. And Wayne. Wayne is better than that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I know I personally got bogged down in the dumb science because it's me. And I'm sorry if that was a conversation most people were not interested in having. (laughs) But it really is a very prevalent thought in this movie, apparently. Yeah. It's like, these are just like, they're bad professors. Their motivations, like they're all, initially it's all about glory. Like it wasn't, they had no like altruistic, like, you know, they're trying to understand things or learn or better humankind by discovering new ideas and helping. Like, no, I just want to get my Nobel Prize and all the women. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did. So it worked out well for him. (laughs) Maybe I'm the idiot here. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm the one who's like, well, I'm I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) So that was Evolution, yeah. the movie I'm pretty sure I've not seen. <laughs> we do a lot of media on this on this podcast that is weird, is our and I think it was very weird the choices they made in this movie and how they did the characters. Absolutely, that was, that's the weirdest part to me. And we do like our weird plans, and that was a plan worth yeah. talking about, I guess. <laughs> And to be clear, as we said before, weird is not bad. Like, I think we both have presented mostly things we really like and enjoy on this Absolutely. podcast. I, I gotta say, this was not one of those for me, personally. <laughs> but you suffered through it, and we appreciate you, Sam. Yeah. Uh, well, judge for yourself. But we do have some burning questions we need help answering in this episode. We need a biologist a lot on this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it is about our podcasts and biology, but... Man, we could use a fourth, a third chair that is a biologist. <laughs> Not to be too arrogant. I don't think we need a biologist to tell us that this plane was stupid. No. I think we throw that on our own, Danielle. I think we've got that. My question, I need something to help a fire truck for. <laughs> the fire to truck answer the expert. questions, how do you fill a fire truck? I mean, I know you can hook them up to uh, a fire hydrant, but I know they have tank, like a tank truck. How do you fill them up? How long would that take? Could you fill them up with bottles of shampoo? <laughs> That's my, like, would that work? And your question, would they clog the nozzle? <laughs> So this this episode, we are looking for a fire truck expert. Yeah, someone who knows about fire trucks or has used fire trucks. If you're a firefighter or a fire truck engineer, get in touch because yeah. we really need your help. And then secondarily, <laughs> a biologist. Thirdarily, we still need a dragonologist if anybody yeah, that's true. They were dragging this movie. I, I didn't realize they had this connection to rain of fire until I saw the dragon. I'm like, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was Evolution. <laughs> but we made it. Yeah, we made it. The classic 2001 comedy, Evolution. <laughs> if you have any answers to our fire truck questions, if you watch the cartoon series and can answer any of our other questions about what happened to all the goo afterwards, yeah, you can definitely write to us at bookretorts.com. Or you can tweet at us, Facebook, Instagram us at bookretorts. So until next time, bye. Take care, everybody.
imagine Wayne is like secretly working for the alien. <laughs> be great. So like he was infected by the aliens in the pool room. And so he leads them to the shampoo idea, you know, pull on the strings, puppet master style, because it wouldn't work. It's absolutely stupid. And so the alien cells fake their death and like are in Wayne now. It's like John Carpenter's the thing. And he's going around converting all the humans into him. Sure. Like I said, when you can, apparently some carbon forms can go with arsenic. These ones actually take selenium and they grow from it. Or it's just like a shampoo. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. They just fake it. Like it's a whole big old misdirection. <laughs> Okay, when I say three, everybody pretend to die. <laughs> Explode. But then Wayne is our vessel for the future. He's carrying our genetic payload. <laughs> Plot twist. And then he and that woman that got bit earlier meet up. There you go. Hey, hey. you brought it back around, Danielle. <laughs> why, why are we never hired to write movies? <laughs> I don't know. For obvious choices. <laughs> 